Hi, and welcome to the Arcast podcast, where we highlight Arkansas podcasters and industry experts. Subscribe to the Arcast podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and in all of the major podcasting apps. We're also on YouTube at Arcast Pod. Welcome back to the Arcast Podcast, a podcast where we talk to the podcasters of Arkansas. With me, as always, is Karen Trico Stewart. Yes. Hi, Ty. How hey, are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Excited about this episode. Awesome. We have a guest. Yes. Yes. You want to introduce her? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have LaDonna Humphrey today. And um, I guess we'll just start off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your work? Sure. I'm excited to be here, by the way. So thank you for this today. Um, I've been looking forward to it. Um, I am wearing a lot of hats right now. I'm an author. I have two books out. Um, they're both about the, the Melissa Witt case. And she went missing um, in December of 94, and then her body was found in 1995. And so I've been working that case for eight years. And because of that case, I became a private investigator. And most recently, a podcaster myself. Um, my podcast launched in September of 2022. And I'm also a nonprofit executive director. So like I said, wearing lots of hats right now. Yeah, absolutely. What got you into the case of Melissa Witt? So I've been involved in, I guess, what you'd consider the true crime world for a very long time. And um, I started out by helping families that have missing loved ones and had a nonprofit that we ran for almost a decade and a half called Let's Bring Them Home. And when we saw that that service was no longer needed, and there was a lot of reasons for it, we decided we wanted to finish strong with a documentary. A good portion of my board had a journalism background, and that seemed like the way we wanted to go. And for whatever reason, my team didn't choose a missing persons case. They chose the Melissa Witt case. And at first, I was pretty much against it. I was determined to do a documentary about the plight of missing adults. But fate had something else in store, and they sent me to the police department, and I met with detectives, and then I just knew then I had to get involved. So you do have many different channels in which you um, reach an audience. You not only have your podcast, like you said, you're also an author, you have the website. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of having those different channels and, and how that helps you reach people? Sure. Um, you know, through the books, that does help us reach, you know, a, an entire different category of people that might have never learned about the, the Wit case. So that's been um, exciting and good for the case. But in the middle of writing those books and doing some investigative work into one of the tips that came in in the Wit case, I really became passionate about uncovering more information about that particular group of crime that was happening on the internet. Um, it's the death fetish community. And I decided the best way to expose them was through a podcast. And so um, Alicia Lockhart and I got together and we said, hey, this is what we want to do. So we launched um, our podcast, Deep Dark Secrets, in um, September of 2022. And that's been really amazing for us because we've grown pretty quickly and we've reached another level of people who love true crime, so to speak, but they also want to learn and be educated and be victim focused. And that's been really exciting for us because we're trying to change federal obscenity laws and make people aware, you know, to keep the next girl safe. So it's been a great platform for us. And it's something that I often say, why didn't I think of this sooner? Yeah, there are many true crime podcasts out there, but not 
you know, many that touch on the topic that, that you touch on. Um, how, how prevalent would you say that death fetishes are? Uh, it's really scarier than you would think. It's about 100,000 people worldwide at any given time. Um, but there's a lot more people that kind of dabble in it on the internet out of curiosity, or maybe they have other fetishes. And what we've been seeing is the amount of crime that comes out of these groups, uh, real murder, human trafficking, um, stolen body parts. I mean, anything that you can imagine that could go on in the deep web or the dark web, you know, we've, we've uncovered that. So it's, it's something that we think is important for people to know, even though it's a horrific thing, because you can't protect yourself if you don't know about it. And podcasting has been the way to get that message out to a very large group in a very short amount of time. Can you talk a little bit about your process um, in terms of how much research it takes um, and just your process for recording episodes? I can. And people ask us this a lot. Like, I think there's a, a preconceived idea that maybe podcasting is easy. You just get some equipment and you just go live with it, but that's really not it. Um, it's important to us that we have accurate reporting that's also victim focused. And ours is a little different because we're actually exposing people who are producing death fetish. And so we have to do that in a way that's not doxing. We have to do it in a way that's not legal. So that is legal. That's not illegal. <laughs> Clarify that. And we spend, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we want to make sure uh, we spend anywhere between 20 and 25 hours a week on research and preparing what our topic is going to be because we record every single week. And then of course we've got the process of editing and all of that. So it's a full-time job for Alicia and I, it really is um, because we want to do this and do it well. And I think that's why um, our audience has grown and, we've gotten to the place that we have with this podcast because people can count on us for accurate reporting on a topic that's pretty scary. And we do it in such a way that it's not too disgusting. It's not too frightening. And that takes a lot of work to, to do that. So something we've never covered on this show is of course, you know, using journalism in your, in your podcasting on this level, where it is you're exposing a completely, you know, a subculture that exists out there and uh, so how much of you having a true crime podcast, how much investigating are you doing? Are you are you finding out where these people are hanging out online, where their communities are, how they're sharing the photos, that type of thing? What goes into that? A, a lot goes into that because we work with law enforcement because one, what you have to understand is that some of these communities are illegal. It depends on what state you're in, um, what you access. So we needed... Um, the support of law enforcement. And so that's a whole nother level. And we got that here. And what we've done is we've gone undercover in these forums. So we're actually immersing ourselves in this, ourselves in this culture and pretending to be one of them under various screen names. And that's how we've gathered our Intel. And so there's a lot that goes into that because we see other things that are happening that we have to immediately report to law enforcement. Sometimes we've worked with the FBI Um it's pretty intense. It's something that I never saw myself doing. But once I understood that this community existed, I knew I had to get involved and do something. So it, it takes every bit of my background in journalism and in um, private investigating to be able to do what we're doing. And the same with Alicia. I mean, it's, it's hard, scary work some days. Can you tell us a little bit about um, Alicia and the process of having a co-host? Yeah, so I met Alicia because she's actually 
someone that called in a tip to the Wit case about this community. And we write about that in our book, Strangled, about her connection. She was really young, was asked to make a film. She made a film um, that was very similar to the Wit case. And then when she found out about me online, um, she, she called it in and said, hey, I think this could be connected to the Melissa Wit case. And so we got to know each other really well. Um, in the very, in the very beginning because of that tip. But then we joined forces really to go undercover in these communities because we knew that we had to put a stop to it, but we were also looking for more information about the wit case and other cases. And so by the time we had done that, we were a year into this, we'd become pretty good friends. Um, I could trust her. She could trust me. We had the same goals and that's when we sort of, hatch this plan for a podcast and it's you know a little bit more difficult because she's in the virgin islands and i'm in arkansas there's a time difference and all that so it takes a lot of coordination but it's been a good process i mean we're a good team and i think that that's what it takes if you have if you have a co-host is that you have to be working with someone that you can trust that's going to put in every bit of effort that you do and can pick you up on your days that you're down and you can pick them up on their days that they're down. Cause this is hard, hard work. And I don't say it just about our pod- podcast. I think any podcast is a lot of hard work, especially if you're doing a good job. And what's important to me is that we both work really hard and we do that. And I think that's shown in um, our work. And I think that that's really important when you're thinking about a podcast. Mm-hmm. How do you record your podcast? Because it doesn't sound, you mentioned she's in a different location, but it sounds like you're in the same space. We actually use a platform called Zencaster, and uh, we so far we've been pretty happy with that. I mean, it, it depends on your inter- con- internet connection sometimes, but yeah, that's what we use, and it's worked really well for us right now because, you know, we call it our little bitty baby that's growing up, and I'm sure as we continue to grow, you know, that we'll, we may change the platform that we use, but right now it it puts us together in a way that normally wouldn't happen since we're so far away from each other. Yeah, and this is more of a comment than a question, but um, you have a 4.9 rating on Apple and 252 reviews. I I don't really see that very much. So you're you're definitely creating something that is appreciated and very well respected. Oh, thank you. I mean, we're really proud of that because what we're trying to do is provide a service to keep people safe. That's the way we see this. Like we're trying to serve the community. And so it's, it's a very different approach than a lot of podcasts take. And I think that's helped us grow a really um, dedicated following of people who either really love what we do, or they think we're really crazy for it, <laughs> you know, one or the other, but I appreciate you saying that. Cause that, that does make us proud. You said earlier that, you know, when you're trying to get some of these stories out to the public, um, the best way to do that is through podcasting. What made you choose podcasting? And then obviously you dabble in a little bit of different media. You have books and that type of things, and they play off of each other. Uh, but wh- why pa- podcasting above all? Because of my experience with um, writing books and just the work that I've done on social media, because that's been a big deal. It's been a big part of the wit case. You know, I grew a really big following that way. You know, I don't think that that books are the same as they used to be, right? Because we've got, we've got the rise of the internet and Kindle and all those things. And so it's harder for people to consume an entire book because they want to be fed things a different way. 
short snippets. And so we did a lot of research and podcasting really is where it's at if you have an important message to share, um, because people are more likely to tune in and listen and have more time to do that, like during a commute to work or when they're exercising or, you know, right before they go to bed and they're less likely to read. I mean, the art and I call it the art of reading, you know, a good book. It's just not there anymore. So it's just not there. Well, speaking of the many avenues that you reach people, you're also now hosting an event. Can you tell us a little bit about what that event is and how that all came to be? I'm really excited about that, too. So you're going to see me get all excited. But um, we're hosting True Crime Fest NWA. And that was really just born out of um, the desire to have a platform to share victim-focused advocacy in our state. And we wanted to do it as a fundraiser for our nonprofit. My nonprofit's called All the Lost Girls, and that was founded in honor of Melissa Witt. And we focus on strangulation, cold cases, and education for women's safety. And so we expected we'd have 50, 60, maybe 100 people max, you know, sign up for this event. And that is not what happened. It kind of blew up. We've got 500 people coming. Um, it's going to be a very large event in our state. And it's something I'm really, really proud of and excited because we've brought in some of the best of the best folks from, you know, the state and the nation who are so victim focused and they want to make a difference. And then this year, our featured case will be that of Melissa Witt. And I'm just really excited. It's just come together so beautifully. And it's something I'm really, really proud of. Something I wasn't expecting to happen on this level, but I think it's going to be great. And one element of that is a documentary on Melissa Witt. Is that right? It is. So we've been working on this Melissa Witt documentary for eight years, and it's been one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, um, I'm proud of it. This doc is about as indie as it's ever going to get because, you know, it's self-funded and, you know, we did all of the work ourselves, but we're finally going to launch it. And that's how we're going to wrap up True Crime Fest. And I'm excited. I'm excited for the world to see it. And I'm excited to say we've accomplished this and then we'll move on to the festival circuit with that doc as soon as True Crime Fest is over. So I think good things. I mean, the whole point is to share Melissa's story and to get it out there. And I'm really glad that we're launching it at True Crime Fest. I mean, it just, it worked out pretty well. So I, I'm proud of it. And then I'm planning on a second doc. So that's kind of in the works. You've got some prominent names that are coming that are going to be speaking. Um, so I, I know obviously you're a podcaster, but when you're, you're hosting an event for uh, people who are interested in a certain type of subject, like like true crime, right? So everybody sees the documentaries on Netflix. Um, but what made you want to bring some podcasters into this world too? You know, because of this journey I've been on along the way, I've met a lot of great people that do a lot of great things. And those are the people I wanted to reach out to. And then there's some people that I hadn't met before, like the two of you. And I'm super excited you're going to be a part of this event because you're doing some amazing work. And I think that's important. And so, you know, we've got folks like James Renner, um, Jennifer and Lance from Crawl Space Media who are launching their brand new podcast, Dark Valley, um, at the event. You know, we've got Nick Edwards from True Crime Garage. It's going to be there virtually. He's going to have a beer with the audience virtually. I think that's kind of exciting. <laughs> um, United States of Murder. You know, they're right here. They're homegrown. They're from Arkansas and the Little Rock area. We just have some amazing people who are making a difference. And 
I think that's what it's all about. And I think if you're going to have an event that's true crime focused, that you have a responsibility to make sure that it's victim focused and that you're not getting off into the weeds and glorifying the murderer or anything like that. And I feel like this group of people are going to do just that. They're going to, they're going to show the world what is important and that's staying focused on the victims, telling these stories and making a difference. So you can see crime solved, but on top of that, you can prevent this from happening to anybody else. So you mentioned 500 people buying tickets. Are these mostly from Arkansas or what are you, what are you seeing? We, it's mostly from Arkansas, but we have people coming in from Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas. We've got some people flying in from California. That shocked me. Um, I think next year it'll grow even larger. Um, we're really anticipating that. You know, tickets are still on sale right now. I still think that we'll probably see quite a few more sell, but they're coming from everywhere because this is, you know, easier to get to than some of the you know, the bigger events that are out there like CrimeCon. And I love CrimeCon. I'm a part of CrimeCon. And, um, you know, they're very supportive of what we're doing. But this is more centrally focused for folks who want to spend a day because they love this type of thing. They, they want to come meet the podcasters or say thank you. Or families that have had tragedy that want their story told, you know, they're coming. And maybe they can find a podcaster that will pick up their story. I think that that's really, really important. And We've also made tickets available for free to law enforcement and their families. And we think that's important too, because that's some networking and maybe, you know, maybe there's a detective that has a cold case and he can meet up with somebody and say, Hey, can you cover this case? So, you know, that's our heart and that's our goal, but we're shocked. I'm still shocked that we have 500 people coming. I say that and I think, how is that possible? But there's just a lot of people really excited. So. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. I think it's going to be a good thing. Um, and you said for the first year, it's going to be mostly around Melissa Witt. Does that mean that you're already planning another year? Yes. So um, we've already got 2024 on the books, and it's going to be on May 11th. Same location, Rogers Convention Center. We're going to invite you guys back to come and speak. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> and we will pick another case that we will um, – focus on. And so what I'm going to do and what our team is going to do is we're going to work with all of the speakers from this year and invite them to a little round table via Zoom. And we're going to all together decide what case we're going to choose for next year. I think that's important that we all have a say in it. And, and then we'll reach out to that family and, and make that happen. It's so interesting to me that you do incorporate law enforcement. How, how has that relationship been and how was it built mm -hmm. to begin with? So for the Witt case, of course, when I first met them, I, I came in as this investigative journalist that's doing a documentary, and they really wanted the documentary done. And so they kind of ambushed me when we first met, is what I tell them, because when I walked into the room, they had all the retired detectives that had ever worked Melissa's case in the room that wanted to talk to me, along with the chief of police and along with the current detective. And seeing their passion was really amazing to me. And so, of course, we chose the case and we moved forward. And I think what happened through this process is that law enforcement saw the work that was being done was really beneficial. We were bringing in new, new tips, new leads in the case, and they also saw that they could trust me. And so it was a slow process of 
them doing something different. They were working at the time with, with a civilian, you know, I didn't even have my license to be a private investigator. And so just time and, you know, trust was built. And now we work as a team because the work that's being done is so beneficial to Melissa Witt's case. And so, you know, we meet sometimes monthly if we can to talk about what's going on, new leads, what we're seeing. It's been fantastic. And what I hope can happen is that by inviting law enforcement from across the state to come and letting them come for free is that they can learn about this relationship that our team has built with law enforcement in the Witt case and potentially could build that with other trustworthy people. And I think that's really, really, really important that um, that, that happens because these cold cases um, need people that are advocating outside of police because think about all of the cases that they have on their plate. So there's a vision there and we want to see it replicated for other cases because this, this works. I think that we're going to see the wit case solved and a lot of it's going to be because of teamwork and you know, the things that we've done. And I hate to use the word promote because that is so cringy to say you promoted a case, but you built awareness for a case. And I, I think it's, it's made all the difference. How close do you think you are to, to some kind of resolution in the, Melissa Witt case. I think we're going to see it happen really, really soon. We're that close. I think we've identified who the killer is. And I think we're just waiting for those dominoes to fall. And it's just almost every day I'm waiting by the phone because I literally expect that phone call that they've, you know, they've made a, an arrest. And I'm really, really hopeful because this has been a lot of years of my life. And I really, truly want to see Melissa Witt's case solved. And, um, and then I'm going to take a vacation when that happens. <laughs> you know? I bet. Um, we're close. I think it's going to happen any day. A lot. I've heard you say twice in this interview, I never expected, you know, to do this. Um, what did you expect to do and how were you, you know, drawn into this? Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, I, I never, I have said it and you just pointed it out several times. I really just thought that we would complete a documentary and we'd be done in six months and I would go on with the next thing in my life. I just never planned for this. And when I got involved and the, and the investigators took me out to the site where Melissa Witt's body was found, my life completely changed that day. Just being out there, knowing how long she'd been out there, her age, that her life was stolen, having girls of my own at the time, you know, my daughter was close to the same age. I just vowed I had to do something. And I never thought that it would take me on the path of becoming a PI or writing books. There was never a plan to write books, but COVID happened and, you know, that slowed down the process of the doc. And so that's why the books were born. So I really attributed it all to just that passion. I became passionate. It's almost like I had goals for my life that were completely outside of this, but fate had something else in store for me. And I'm proud to be doing this work. I really, really am. Um, I just didn't expect people to respond to it. You just never know what that's going to be like. And so it's been a very humbling experience. Um, and I'm very grateful because every bit of the work I do is for Melissa. And I take that really, really seriously. And, you know, starting the nonprofit and doing the fest, that kind of takes it outside of just the wit case now. And that's where my heart is, is I want to work with people like you. I want to work with, you know, people like True Crime Garage, you know, Catherine Townsend, those folks that are making a difference and, and talk to them about the cases that are important to them and showcase that so we can see some resolution. And 
make a difference. It all comes back to making a difference. Not only are you doing a lot for victims, but you're also doing a lot for podcasting in Arkansas and getting stories out there, you know, and being inspirational in that way. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us, and especially while your head's strep throat. That's yes. um, something to overcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being here and with us and uh, for inviting us and for being our guest at Arcast. And so we look forward, you know, what we're going to do in the future is going to be awesome. Oh, thank you. This was an honor. I'm excited. Thanks for listening to the Arcast podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of the major podcasting apps. Or find us on YouTube at Arcast Pod.